Kia ora and welcome to Te Heringa Waka, Victoria University of Wellington, the podcast. This podcast was produced to coincide with the Rebellious Mind Seminar series. The series was produced by the Stout Research Center for New Zealand Studies as part of the Herenga Waka Victoria University of Wellington's 125th anniversary celebrations. Rebellious Minds explores episodes of dissent, nonconformity, critical thinking, and eccentricity from across the university's history, aspiring to highlight stories of rebellion in political, social, and cultural life. My name is Dr. Sam Hasibi, and today I'm speaking with a team of Rebellious Minds. I have the pleasure of having a Correro with Dr. Jennifer de Sachs, who is a senior lecturer in social policy and sociology in the School of Social and Cultural Studies here at Terengawaka. Alex Carr, who is a research assistant in the School of Social and Cultural Studies, and Daniel Hanna, who is a master's student in philosophy. Kia ora Jennifer, Alex, and Daniel, and thank you so much for accepting my invitation, and welcome to the Rebellious Minds podcast. <laughs> so I'm going to jump right in, if it's okay with you, and ask my first question. Uh, I was wondering if you could please introduce yourselves for our listeners and tell us about what you do here at Terengawa. Kia ora, Sam. Thank you for having us. Um, my name is Jennifer DeSachs. Um, I go by she, her pronouns. I am um, an American or European-American. Um, identify as culturally Jewish as well. I've been here for five years in the School of Social and Cultural Studies, and I teach courses within the sociology program that focus specifically on race, critical race theory, ideologies of whiteness, critical social theory, and um, just feel so honored to be with both Alex and Danielle, who have been students and tutors and co-writers and just had the pleasure of really developing and cultivating this class, Complicating Resistance, that we're going to be talking about today. It coincides really well with my own work, a book that um, I'm hoping will come out next year, that is interrogating the white university beyond tick box and trainings, which really is this idea that we need to complicate how we talk about race and whiteness and move away from um, binary understandings of racist, anti-racist, recognizing that there's so much more that needs to be unpacked and undermined um, and challenged if we really want to get at uh, the transformation that I, I think many of us are hoping to move towards as it relates to dismantling um, racism and different ideologies of whiteness that are present and prevalent both within education and society. Kia ora, um, my name is Alex, um, I use he him pronouns and I am um, a Pākehā uh, transmasculine person um, and my, on my mum's side I'm from Germany and my dad's ancestors are from um, Scotland, England and Canada by way of Scotland um, and yeah I, I am a graduate from Te Waka so I studied sociology, purely sociology uh, and did my honours in sociology as well um, and during that time and, and also after I um, have been working as a tutor and research assistant um, both at Te Waka and also um, doing some research 
research with on a couple of other projects funded by the Health Research Council of New Zealand. Um, and yeah, I, I found um, through tutoring for complicating resistance, um, a lot of um, the concepts and theory and praxis um, have absolutely woven in. And I keep thinking, even just in my day-to-day life, has really influenced and grounded the way that I think about what it means to resist and complicate resistance, not only um, in terms of race and ethnicity, but also in my work um, with um, trans and gender and sexuality studies more generally. Yeah. I also work with Inside Out Kualaro, which is a community organisation for rainbow youth, um, and so of course there are um, some intersections between that sort of academic research work and um, community development as well. Namaste, kia ora koutou. My name is Danielle Hannah. Um, I am a biracial individual who grew up in South Auckland. My mum's family is Pākehā, my dad's family comes from Gujarat in India. Um, yeah, I had the absolute pleasure of taking this course actually as a student in undergrad when I was studying um, my BA and my BCom um, in 2019 when Jennifer and Alex were taking this class. And so it was a real pleasure and privilege to be able to be one of the tutors um, in trimester one of this year because the course was really integral in being able to help tie together my lived experience as being a brown person in Aotearoa, New Zealand, but also with the academic work that I find myself really gravitating towards. Um, So like you said earlier, Sam, I am doing my Master of Arts at the moment in philosophy. Jennifer happens to be one of my supervisors alongside um, Sondra Bacharach, who is um, one of the philosophy professors. And the work that I'm really engaging in is um, understanding how bigotry comes to happen in society through hegemonic thinking, the dissemination of particular kinds of ideologies, but then also how can we better engage with conversations as we become more divisive and as it becomes a lot harder to actually meet in the middle and have these really tough critical conversations about, you know, racism, transphobia, homophobia, you insert all of those here. Um, That's what I'm really kind of focusing on. So this course has been really integral in my thinking along the lines of um, what I'm doing in my master's. So yeah, really set a lot of the groundwork for what I'm doing now. So for this Correro, I'm hoping we could focus on the course that you mentioned, which is Complicating Resistance. Well, first of all, such an interesting title and so rebellious indeed, especially when we consider how education, as put by Henry Giroux, has essentially become a private good in the neoliberal capitalist system of education. So I was wondering if you could please tell us more about this course, about your vision and and the goals you want to achieve. One of the interesting things that you that you mentioned, Sam, is the idea that we're teaching a course like this within the university. So we're situating ourselves, attempting to resist the university whilst also seeing it as a site that we can resist and be in that resistance to resist. And so um, one of the wonderful things about the title, which I didn't even remember the, um, the latter part, which is power, emancipation, and sociology. I didn't even remember that we had that. But the, the notion that re- 
resistance has become another one of these terms that's often deployed within academia and activist circles that um, can be reductionist in a sense. What does it mean to resist? And so we, we, we sort of start the course n- noting that resistance can mean many different things. Uh, there's resistance on the far left, there's resistance on the far right. And so we, we can't just flippantly use the term believing that how we're saying it is being understood or contextualized. And so maybe I'll just briefly set up what we do in the course and then Alex and Danielle can fill in. So the first six weeks are really heavily grounded in critical theories of race and whiteness. We look at topics like the racial contract by uh, Caribbean scholar Charles Mills. We look at um, epistemic exploitation. We look at epistemologies of white ignorance. We talk about colorblindness. And we really ground the course in these theories so that the students understand them theoretically. But then we also include podcasts or films or other ways or modes for students to understand how the theory then becomes humanized for lack of a better term and so they don't so that students can see why we're actually learning these ideas that we hope they don't just sit within the confines of academia we talk about a lot of these ideas being socially constructed well that can only be understood if we we demonstrate that that social construction has real life consequences and manifests in different ways for different people. So that's the first part of the course. And then the students write a racial autobiography in which they need to think about a moment in their lives where they thought about race for the first time, how they understand themselves as a racialized being, and put it in conversation with some of the theories that we've looked at for the first part of the term. And then the latter part of the course is bringing in different guest speakers, both Alex and Danielle, have contributed to that part of the course, which talks about how they complicate resistance in their own work and how they might look to some of the theories that we have drawn on as a lens or framework in which to understand how they are engaging with their own work, both academic work, but also activist work and in the community. And that has um, kind of been the template for this course over the last three years. But in the act of resisting, we've also made this process a bit malleable, recognizing that things are going on in the world that may shift what we need to move the conversation towards. Danielle was reminding um, us today that the first year is when Ihumatau was going on um, simultaneously with the movement in Mauna Kea in Hawaii. And so we were able to take the, the conversation globally. And we had Dr. Emilani Case come in and talk with us. And, and so that's sort of the idea of the course, and it also depends on who's enrolled in the course. You know, the last three years have been a bit tricky, so luckily um, I have these two wonderful people who've helped make it as meaningful of experience as it can be. Yeah, I guess thinking about the goals and the visions, I guess, for um, as a tutor, not not someone who's sort of curated the course from, from scratch, but what I've really noticed, I think just going off your point, Jennifer, is the application of the theory to real life, whether that's uh, using what's going on around us, like um, Mauna Kea and Ihumatao, whether it's um, it was the murder of George Floyd when in, on, in the semester that I was tutoring, uh, COVID, <laughs> you know, all these um, really important and sort of, yeah, what's going on around us, we can use the theory in such a, I think such a, Jennifer, you make it quite easy to 
apply those concepts to really make sense and and give students language and ways to articulate what's going on, whether that's internally, sort of academically, but also to their friends and their families. I think anecdotally we know that students have you know gone on and had conversations with uh, with people around them to and I think that's to me that's how social change and resistance that's so part of it having those conversations rather than thinking about you know these massive movements that's what they're made up, up of is, is those smaller things so I think thinking about the goals of the courses to really yeah to, to get sort of plant those seeds that can then uh, be taken on and, and grow in, in many different ways whether that's you know whatever students are interested in and the opportunity for students to uh, interrogate or examine something that is really interesting to them I think that flexibility as well it was a huge part of the course um, that students seem to, to value that they can yeah, apply it to whatever they, they're interested in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, speaking as a student here, I put my student cap on. Um, yeah, when we um, when I engaged in this course back in 2019, I remember sitting through the lecture on epistemic exploitation and just having my mind blown. Um, so while Alex, to your point of talking about like kind of thinking about the worldwide, you know, things that we can look at, whether it's Malnacare, whether it's Ihamato, etc., I kind of started looking at more the micro details of my life and how epistemic exploitation was something that I had experienced um, in many different forms, in many different ways. And so that was really key for me in actually really aligning that the academic was not disconnected from my personal life and my lived experience of being brown um, and the complications around being brown. So yeah, for me, that really came across as a student going through those first six weeks of where we were talking about the theories whether it was you know um, the racial contract with Charles Mills which is someone I'm engaging with um, for my thesis as well Um, you know epistemic exploitation is also coming up a lot continuously in my work just because of how integral it was to understand a portion of my life that I hadn't you know I hadn't had the word for it I hadn't had something that I could use and just hold on to and say this is what's going on this is what's happening this is how it works and it functions Um, so that was really really important in kind of yeah I guess that was an integral part of like my academic career you know as as an undergrad student that's really followed me through to now being a master's student Um, but also of course in having been a tutor for the course being able to see the ways in which um, like Alex was saying a lot of the students yeah anecdotally are having these really interesting um, conversations with their family members with their friends you know it is going beyond um, the walls of the classroom which I think is really one of the massive parts of this course that is really important it's not just for the walls of the classroom this resistance and fight that you um, explained is complex and multidimensional as the world is complex and multidimensional and um, knowledge and power and liberation are connected and interconnected in so many ways so I'm curious about the theories and the concepts that you um, focus on in this course. Yeah, that's a really good question, and and one of the things that um, I don't think we've talked about yet necessarily, but this course is set up in a way that the students have 
pun intended or not, signed on to this course, <laughs> like the con racial contract, knowing that they cannot be a passive member of the classroom community. The first class, we, we sort of dive right in saying racism, white supremacy, all the other isms are not up for debate. We are, we are moving forward with the assumption that we are not wondering if these things exist. They, they are there and we are challenging them straight up. Another thing that we have talked about quite often is that, um, similar to many um, institutions of higher education, there's an overwhelming representation of whiteness and, and white bodies, not just physically, but institutionally. And we also move forward with the premise that any kind of pre-reading that has to do with one's fragility or one's questioning of their um, complicity, um, whether that being um, understood or not, is also not part of the course. That doesn't mean we're not going to have hard conversations. We know that that emotion is going to rise. So we are very cognizant of the fact that even within the many um, students that are in the class, there's a continuum for one's reading, personal experiences, awareness of these theories, but the ultimate goal of the course is to decenter the whiteness in order to critically undermine it. And so this first class is looking at racial standpoint and positionality. We look at double consciousness from um, Du Bois. We look at the notion of cultural humility. We talk about this idea of the double image, which is how white people are perceived by others, you know, flipping the script. So we really do this front-loading of the active participation that's required because we all are reading and understanding these theories in very different ways. And if we don't see that, then we're not actually going to go through them in a way that is productive. We also talk quite often, and maybe Danielle will speak to this in her own work, this notion of cognitive dissonance which is really how do we learn something new that is so distinct and directly oppositional to how we always understood something. And the students who hang on to that and sit within that nebulous terrain wanting for it to be unanswered are the ones who are the most open to critiquing themselves and challenging often what we might colloquially call the good white and actually saying, you know, what does that mean? And so it's very multi-layered and multifaceted, and we are doing that as I do that as a lecturer. I am constantly making sure that I'm going through the same epistemological exercises that I'm asking of the students, and I, I know that Alex and Danielle are similarly doing so. Um, I might just jump in and, and talk a little bit about, I think you mentioned earlier, Jennifer, the first assignment, which is the racial autobiography. And that's a really a, a chance for students to, to really apply um, a couple. Some students you know, choose between one, two, maybe three of the concepts and apply that to a moment in their lives. Um, and I think as a, so from a tutor's perspective, reading um, you know, a, a diverse range of assignments, it's, it's really interesting to, you can almost sort of see students sort of aha moments or um, ways of, and, and, and myself included, thinking about my own racial autobiographies. I've sort of thought of it in multiple ways. But uh, yeah, really seeing that maybe for students who for whom these concepts are entirely new or haven't had a chance to really think about it or, or learn or read about them, um, that's a really like, I guess, quite an, an incredible moment to sort of witness, I guess, people working through that. And, and then throughout the course, you know, to their final assignment, seeing that progression, um, even in 
weekly tutorials that uh, it's, it's that consciousness raising, I, I guess, and that critical self-reflexivity, which can only extend beyond the course, I think. Like, you, it's almost something that once you learn, you can't unlearn. I think that applies to a lot of things in sociology. Then you can't unsee things, uh, which I yeah, really hope that the, the students would you know take and, and apply to whatever's next for them as well. But just to see the diversity in, in people's engagement with the, the concept of it has been really, really interesting from my perspective. Yeah, it was um, incredibly humbling to read a lot of the racial autobiographies and particularly the demographics of the course when I was tutoring. It was predominantly Pākehā and there was a little bit of a conversation between Jennifer and I before the course started that we do have to be mindful that it's possible that there could be some difficult um, conversations, some defensiveness, some bad guilt, some fragility around some of these topics and thankfully on the whole like everyone was really open and really engaged with the different topics and the different concepts and frameworks that we were engaging with and for um, a lot of them they were able to use them in ways that really contextualized themselves with their whiteness but also you know how they fit in the world because of that Um, and that as I said is was incredibly humbling to read and to be engaged with and to you know have some really cool conversations with students about what they're planning on talking about because part of it is finding a story or finding something that happened in your life to be able to help you understand that um, you know race exists and there were a few students who were like I don't have one of those moments because it was never something I ever thought about and so you know Jennifer and I had said well write about that because you've never had to think about it until now that is part of the conversation right that's part of the reason why we're doing this course is so that you have that moment where it makes sense where it crystallizes in your mind where you recognize oh yes race definitely exists it's in the world and um, you know I haven't had to engage with it because I'm I'm white what are some of the students' feedback, if I may ask? I understand you may not be able to share some of them with me, but I'm just curious about the feedback and perhaps some of the challenges when discussing such topics with students of different backgrounds, with different viewpoints. I mean, we sort of, Danielle sort of mentioned it, there, there was little resistance, again, I guess pun intended. Um, there were some students who took the course to take their third year sociology paper but in three iterations that was few and far between one of the things that I saw that was really powerful and Danielle talked about how you personally related to epistemic exploitation that there was this language that this theoretical um, framework or tool that can explain those uh, playing the devil's advocate or asking curious questions and things that often go undiscussed because they're so normalized within this sea of whiteness. So there were students, um, you know, the blacker students of color in the course may look at a concept like epistemic exploitation and see this as now, to quote Bell Hooks, as how theory is liberatory. But then on the other side, we have the same theoretical concept for the wider Pakiha students who would ask those questions or look to the one, um, you know, person of color at the table to get the one perspective that is going to speak for all, you know, doing these, again, these seemingly benign, quote unquote, questions and didn't realize that they were engaging in epistemic exploitative behavior. And it's really powerful to to come and find critical theory that becomes a window or a way into
into a conversation to have it be more nuanced so that it doesn't just be racist, not racist, like I said before. And that was a pretty powerful thing to to listen to and watch and be a part of. There's a lot of in-person discussion. Let me rephrase that. In 2019, there was a lot of in-person discussion. It's very hard to teach a course like this. Um, not in person because of the affect and the need to be among others, but conversations that start with a critical theory and then can move into how that theory is humanized. This one particular term is a perfect example for that because then you can have a really open and honest conversation for behaviors that were unnamed And then all of a sudden, that naming comes to the focus of the conversation and the real-life ramifications of those seemingly benign questions. And we saw a lot of that. We haven't really defined any of the terms necessarily, but the racial contract, which really Charles Mills really uh, talks about how the, the world of whiteness that internationally people gravitate towards the, the normalization of it. And, it. and it's so normalized that it's often not even seen or discussed. And so we take a deep dive into that. And per Alex's um, note on reading some of the racial autobiographies that came out in ways that we didn't necessarily notice in some of the courses that students took in secondary school and um, kind of taken for granted situated knowledge and what one thinks is normal I'm quoting air quoting here and so we're now taking these theories and applying them to different instances and the students would come up with some examples not just in class but in their racial autobiographies that really demonstrated they were getting what we were asking them to get um, and I think the only way to talk about it is anecdotally because as soon as you start bringing in quantitative or statistical uh, ways to talk about the effectiveness of this course, it loses um, everything that we are hoping to bring to it. And so seeing students care so deeply and, and really commit to the readings, <laughs> which is a big thing at university to ask students to do a lot of the readings. And I know that students have said to all of us, I've never been in a class where I want to do all the readings. And, and that's a real testament to the students and their commitment to being a part of this um, vibrant community of learners. I do have one anecdotal story that kind of speaks to the students' experience. Um, so... After one of my earlier tutorials in the course where I was kind of explaining the racial autobiography, how to approach it, I kind of said to the students that realistically this course is about connecting the personal and the academic and that's one thing that Jennifer is really clear on um, and that I want to be clear on too with you guys as students that this is about connecting those two. These aren't, you know, they're not meant to be separate at all. And after class I had a student approach me and say, wow, no one has ever said that. I have written things in other courses that have spoken to my personal experiences and and, you know, my markers have said, no, you shouldn't be doing that. There's, you know, there's no room for that and that sort of thing. And so for me to affirm that actually, and, and Jennifer to affirm that realistically, academic, personal have to come together, um, that for that student was incredibly important and I think really helped their engagement in the course, but also um, acknowledged again 
to harp on the point that the academic and the personal do have to go together. And that was probably one of the moments that made me realise just how important this course is for a lot of students who often probably go through undergrad, I know, as I did, and often think, oh, this site kind of relates to me, or oh, this is like, you know, something I've experienced, or, you know, like I did with epistemic exploitation. But there's not often much room to really unpack that in an essay. A lot of people will go, oh, you can't use I in your essay, and all that sort of stuff and so you know to be able to then actually use that concept in my own racial autobiography and then to empower students to do that for themselves in their racial autobiographies when I was tutoring was really powerful and really important and really speaks to the way in which we're trying to help students unpack unlearn consider and critically engage with you know racism just to quickly add to to your point Danielle about like I guess the the conventions or the norms of an institution and I think what this course does in, in thinking about the feedback from, from students is that um, yeah there's often times and this is a second or third year course but students have said you know this is the first time I've I felt comfortable talking to my course coordinator or the lecturer or uh, yeah the first time I've you know felt you know that someone's like known my name in the lecture theatre or that I've talked to other students and I think the way that the course is structured enables some of sort of that resistance within the university, going back to your earlier point, Jennifer, uh, that things can be done another way and there are alternatives to maintain the sort of critical academic rigour but at the same time, of course, bring in your your uh, personal experience. I think that's only, like, that just makes complete sense, at least to me, that, that everything is, they're inextricable. Um, the sort of binary that we've created about university and then real life, in, in air quotes as well, uh, and I think part of the course across whether we're talking about racism, whiteness, transphobia, homophobia, settler colonialism, it's a common theme is these binaries that we challenge, I think, through this course. And, and that's something I really value, I think, and needs to be done more, I think, challenging the norms, which are often manifested in, in binary ways. But um, thinking about, yeah, just that university real-life dichotomy, it's not an either-or, it's a really, it's bringing together all aspects of someone's life, and that's what university, I think, should be a bit more about, to be honest. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I think it's also important to note, um, also given the context of everything that's going on at the university with tutors and tutor pay and whatnot, that this is not an easy course to tutor for because Danielle and Alex have been instrumental in maintaining the ethos and creating the space for learning that we're talking about. We go and try to meet with as many students as we can and oftentimes they're doing that beyond the hours that they're getting paid for. Part of the course is that the students write a reflection at the end of the, the, the lecture just so we can see how they're making sense of it. And Alex and Danielle are reading those with me after the lecture is over. Um, we make a point to see all of our students because you cannot disconnect the human component of this course. And I can't emphasize that enough, even in... You know, when some when you are looking out at a group of students, it is so important to see who's wiggling in their chair during content that is uncomfortable to hear, um, who is looking away. I mean, all of these nonverbal learning that's taking place is as important as the content of the course, but that also can't be disconnected from who is in the course. 
something that we also didn't talk about is that students get to create essentially whatever they want to do for their final project. Some choose a traditional essay, but it was funny. We had talked about how many of our students make podcasts, but that this is the first time we've ever done a podcast. <laughs> and so they'll do these really incredible projects, but they're not able to do them unless they talk to one of us first. So the behind-the-scenes labor could not occur without the commitment that both Alex and Danielle have given to this course, but it speaks to what you both said, is that you can't disconnect the academic from the personal selves. And even though what, what we do outside of academia may have different, uh, a different focus, you can't be disingenuous in a course like this. And it isn't for everybody, but... Um, I could not do it by myself by, by any means, and I don't say that in a reductionist way. I mean, the, the kind of conversations that we continue to have throughout the term are as important to me as a learner as um, they are, hopefully, to the students. And Alex and I, hopefully next year, we'll have a piece that has been accepted and will come out that is about this course. It's, what, two and a half years in the making, but we, um, we unpack you know, what those first two iterations looked like. And um, to be able to do that kind of writing with postgrads and, you know, Danielle's not done yet either. <laughs> but but it's, a, it's a real privilege and I, and I don't want that to go unnoticed because, um, again, even though I'm the course coordinator, it's not a sole teaching experience by any means. And they really take their teaching and learning as seriously as I do. And that's just absolutely incredible. So I want to make sure that that is noted. So my question is for Alex and Daniel. I'm wondering how the things that you have learned and experienced in this course have affected you and your own research. My main area of research is um, transgender health. So looking at health outcomes for trans non-binary communities. And actually, yeah, this last semester I wasn't tutoring but I gave a guest lecture on uh, some of the research I've been doing um, around trans people's experiences of pregnancy and birth care which is an incredibly gendered space so I was looking at how uh, how people are resisting cis normativity so the idea that or the assumption that everyone is not trans is everyone cisgender and there are two binary genders and I think a couple of the concepts that I sort of hoped to apply, um, firstly, I think cognitive dissonance comes in amazing use when we're thinking about gender and the, the gendering of reproduction, human reproduction. Um, so I think um, because gender is so deeply embedded in the way that we think about pregnancy and birth and parenthood, I think you know acknowledging and coming to terms with probably will be cognitive dissonance when you're talking about these issues for the first time, I think... I hope grounded or helped students understand that, you know, and be be okay with the fact that what we, all the norms that we have around um, bodies and, and gender um, are sort of flipped on their head when we are talking about um, trans pregnancy in particular. I think um, it's probably one of the most more um, pronounced uh, aspects of gender and health. Um, Another, another concept that I found really helpful and sort of related, almost a sort of family of theories around, you mentioned epistemic exploitation, and obviously knowledge is such a huge 
uh, part of all the topics that we cover in the course, but some uh, research on a, another guest lecture actually in 2019 when I was tutoring, I presented some of my honours research findings, which was uh, about how trans people accessed gender-affirming hormones in Wellington, and um, I took the concept of epistemic injustice and talked a bit about um, sort of how people are expected to be sort of credible subjects of, and knowers of, of, of themselves in order to get past the gatekeeping in the healthcare system. So I think while I wasn't uh, drawing it directly on, on concepts in the course, I think from, from memory a couple of students made connections between, uh, in their reflections, made connections between the, the concepts in the course and the sort of related concepts. So I think having that sort of, making those connections, I hope, was helpful in what I was talking about. (laughs) Yeah, so for me and my master's research at the moment, I'm really focused on bigotry in society and how we can have better conversations with those who hold bigoted ideas so that hopefully we can get through because there's some sort of barrier, there's some sort of something that's occurring. Um, And I'm not necessarily thinking about your echo chamber conspiracy theorist people. I'm thinking about, I always say the racist uncle trope, the members of your family who don't quite get it. And for me, as um, a Pākehā Indian individual, uh, unfortunately I do have a few members of my family who fit the racist uncle trope, and I find it really hard to talk to them. I find it really hard to engage with them on my research, on the things that I've learned in university, um, and I often just don't talk to them about it. And I don't think that's entirely productive, especially when we think about this course and you know, knowing some of the brave conversations that students have had with their families. I have noticed within myself, and others have also expressed this too with um, in tutorials, that often they just don't because it's too hard. and. I want to understand why, but I also want to understand how can we then unpack that so I can I can sit down with my family members and go, hey, that wasn't very cool of you to, to say this racist, homophobic, transphobic, xenophobic, etc. thing here. Um, you know, I've, I've had quite a number of experiences that, um, you know, I, I felt very silenced by. Um, and so that's kind of really led me down this path of of looking at how can we have better conversations around um, these really challenging topics. And I completely acknowledge, like, it's not easy. I mean, half of the reason why I'm even where I'm at with, um, you know, my own thinking is because I randomly stumbled into sociology. And that, (laughs) you know, it's kind of silly that it's so siloed like that. You know, I've, I mean, my partner um, studied law and economics He didn't talk about any of this stuff. So, you know, realistically, I recognise I'm in a very privileged situation to have even just decided, oh, yeah, I'm going to do social philosophy and public policy. And that is how I've ended up here talking to you about this now. So that, you know, has been really integral in kind of coming back to the theory and education is liberatory as per Bell Hooks. Um, that is something that I really hold close to me because that's part of how I've been able to unpack 
and figure out my experience of being a brown woman in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And so a lot of the concepts from the course, funnily enough, are starting to show up in my work. So I'm really looking at the racial contract and epistemologies of ignorance um, by Charles Mills um, and really trying to look at how the hegemonic system of whiteness has led people down these paths of thinking, oh yes, you know, I'm I'm white and that's right and that's, you know, <laughs> to really put a blanket generalisation on it, that is very much the thinking and even just like the defensiveness, you know, um, a couple of my family members will often say, I'm not racist, I'm not this, I'm not that, I don't know what you're talking about. Why, why do you think what I just said was terrible? And it's like, well, you just said something incredibly awful and horrible and I didn't like it and you're telling me you're not racist? That is absolutely just ridiculous. So... Um, you know, kind of dealing with that fragility and also that dissonance that occurs within, um, you know, these people when you are trying to engage them in these difficult conversations. Um, so those are kind of some of the biggest factors that come up. Of course, epistemic exploitation, obviously my favourite <laughs> favorite concept, um, is coming up as well because, you know, the whole the concept itself is really about when you, as a marginalised, minoritised individual, have someone come to you and say, hey, tell me about your oppression and you you wholeheartedly engage in this conversation, this dialogue and say, yeah, you know, like I had this racist thing happen to me the other day or, you know, this guy said something sexist to me or, the, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and they go, oh, yeah cool, that's awesome, I don't believe you. And that is really what the concept is trying to draw out, is that, you know, I just had to go through this emotional labour of saying, hey, you know, like, what you said to me really hurt, or hey, like, this is how it manifests within society, that, you know, people um, profile me, or follow me in stores, or, you know, to make sure I'm not stealing, or whatever the case may be. Um, I experienced that. And that's a very real experience that I, my sister, other family members have experienced. And yet I, I, you know, I talk and and say, oh, hey, like, you know, this happened to this person. And people will say, oh, yeah, sure, Mm, that definitely happens. And it's just the scepticism of of these kinds of experiences. So epistemic exploitation has been really, really integral in kind of how some of these conversations go. There's a story where my, my sister was speaking to one of my family members and said, and this was a group of family members, um, they were on a road trip, they were talking, and they were talking about racism. I don't know why it came up, don't know how it came up, but my sister was speaking about how in school sometimes she'd get the term curry muncher thrown at her because, you know, Indians, we eat curry, really good insult. But um, anyway, she, you know, said, like, this has happened to me and this was, like, quite an awful experience. And I had a family member laugh at her. And that's, like, horrific. And that's what this this is all about. I, I want to find a way to respond to that, you know, that's more effective than, than just ignoring it or going, that was a bit shit. You know, how can we kind of engage and say, hey, that was kind of wrong of you to laugh at this really awful experience that my sister had happened to her and that you know there's a reason why you know people say those sorts of things there's a reason why you're being defensive about this etc etc and so that's really kind of the crux of what I'm doing so my last question is that if there was a piece of advice that you wanted to pass on to the rebels, students, lecturers, anybody really who wants to resist, what would that be? Well, I think I think it's sort of being talked about and more implicitly, but the importance and centrality of 
personal relationships, I think, in terms of community building. Uh, I think this course, as much as it can within an academic context, you know, does foster um, getting to know your peers, your tutors, the le- your lecturer, you know, everyone, and just having having conversations, like human conversations and vulnerability as well is often a part of it. And so I think for particularly for educators or people who are wanting to sort of work within that system of academia um, to to fight back or, or to translate what's what's being done within uh, academic institutions into community or activism, I think the importance of um, knowing who's around you but I think first before that is, again, it's it's the positioning yourself and having a really strong sense or at least a developing sense of who you are and how your social identities and how you're perceived affect your relationships as well. So I think, yeah, that, that self-reflexivity can be applied in so many ways, but I think if, if you can do that mahi and that, you know, I think any, everyone can in some way. Um, and then second is those the other relationships. My biggest piece of advice is that you'll never stop learning. I completely acknowledge that, you know, my thinking now has changed from a year ago, two years ago to when I took this course. Um, I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still figuring out where I fit, um, where I stand. And that, I think, is one of the most important things to remember because you'll never stop growing. You'll never stop learning. And having that as kind of one of the core parts of engaging with this kind of work, you know, will just continually keep you on the path of figuring it out. You're not always going to get it right. That's okay. You know, acknowledging that it's, you're capable of change, you're capable of moving forward, and you're capable of learning and, you know, recognising where maybe you got it wrong. And that, I think, is one of the biggest pieces of advice that I could give to a fellow rebel. I guess what, what I would say, in addition to both, you know, the points that you made in terms of the lifelong learning, that's a huge part of this course and what we didn't really talk about is how lifelong learning is often seen in juxtaposition to kind of performative activism, which we do talk about in this course, which kind of coincides with taking a quote-unquote diversity class or a training and seeing learning as fixed or having a, a final point. And as soon as you sort of see that if you attend a march and post it on social media, again, there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But it, it doesn't allow for the nuance and the, the lifelong process that this course actually is asking of all of us. And um, I think it's important that we reinsert the human element of what we're all hoping to do within a course like this. It's one of the reasons that if a student emails me and asks for clarification on a theory, I will never email them back. I will say, let's either talk in person or on Zoom or on the phone because so much is lost in the current you know, virtual world that we're in. And I know that's probably aging me, even though I felt this way 20 years ago. But I, but I really think that because of social media and because of how easily we can you know, put up online all the things we're doing, we're not actually complicating it. And things can be misunderstood or misconstrued if they're, 
just written and and one has to internalize and you know I feel the same way about just being able to being in the presence of others I can't underscore how important that is within the context of this work and I don't use work in a traditional sense I use it in um, a collective way that um, that that is required with an active, deliberate, and, and genuine engagement. And I think we miss out on so much if we just rely on these kind of one-off comments. And it takes everything that we're hoping to bring into the class and reducing it to a one-sentence tweet. And I'm not belittling people who are on Twitter or whatnot, but I'm saying the essence of this course really... Um, elevates and is asking a lot from all of us and and that does require putting our human selves back into the equation to quote hooks education is the practice of human freedom and you know it, it may seem somewhat like a catchphrase or cachet but i think that's what we're really trying to do here is to not homo- homogenize experiences to not generalize um one way of thinking but to really see that education can be a liberating space but it requires requires a commitment and a sense of humility, seeing one another, and that's really what we hope to do. Thank you so much, Jennifer, Alex, and Daniel, for giving me your time and sharing your experience with us so generously. Um, I really appreciate it. I also like to thank our listeners for tuning in and hope you all stay well. This is Dr. Saman Hasibi, and this podcast was produced to coincide with the Rebellious Mind Seminar series. You can catch our other podcasts at Victoria University SoundCloud. You can also find the videos of the seminars through the Stout Research Center for New Zealand Studies webpage.